0: It is always such a treat when my wife, Donna, and I get to share with you. It is a wonderful pleasure to be able to um, to catch up with and spend some time with uh, with people that we have. ...that have been a part of our lives since the very early days of this congregation. And it's wonderful to make acquaintances with new people and make connections with you. And we always have an absolutely wonderful time when we are here. So thank you for inviting us to come back again. Today is a very special day for us, and we're very glad that we get to celebrate it with our Prairie View family. Donna and I are today celebrating 35 years of marriage. We have some newlyweds with us this morning, and I have some advice for you. <laughs> but the advice really is for everybody. Nobody's asked me yet today, today but sometimes when, when people are married for 25 or 30 or 35 years or 50, people say, what's the secret? Well, here's our secret. We've been obedient to the Word of God. Especially 1 Corinthians chapter 7, or yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul says, Hey, guys, you don't belong to yourselves. You belong to your... I didn't know I was going to get choked up about this. Guys, you belong to your wives. And wives, you belong to your husbands. And we've been obedient to that. That's that's the first part. Obedience to God's Word. Second part of making our marriage successful is that Donna puts up with an awful lot. So it's always a wonderful thing for me to share with you from God's Word. And that's what I want to do with you this morning. And I want to start with a little bit of a misconception about God's Word. Very often people think that God's Word is about rules and restrictions. Some people, when they think of the Bible, they think, Oh, well, the Ten Commandments. And all the thou shouts and all the thou shalt nots. But the really, really great sentences from the Bible. The memorable ones. The ones that even people who don't attend church on a regular basis, they're familiar with. The really important statements are promises. The, the basis of following Jesus Christ, the basis of the Christian life, the real message of the Word of God is not about our duty to Him. It is about what God has already done for us. I think these, are going, these statements are going to be familiar. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Not surprisingly, all of those memorable statements are about God and His never-ending love for us. And God's love for us is the first and the greatest thing about biblical faith. I want to draw your attention to your bulletin. Because there we find one of the most loved, one of the most quoted, one of the most read, one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. It's the 23rd Psalm. It's from the New International Version. But before we get to that, I want to take you to the bottom. I want to take you to some, some questions asked by a man named Philip Keller. And what I want to do this morning is I, I want to use his questions, his reflections, to guide us through this psalm. Let me read these for you very quickly. Do I really belong to him? Do I really recognize His right to me? Do I respond to His authority and acknowledge His ownership? Do I find freedom and complete fulfillment in this arrangement? Do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I am under His direction? Do I know rest and repose beside a definite sense of exciting adventure in belonging to Him? So I want to do something this different this morning. Very often when I come and share with you, I've got an elaborate outline with blanks to fill in. I just want to ask Mr. Keller's questions to guide us through this psalm. And usually I'll read the Bible text to you, but this morning I'd like for us to read it together. This is so familiar. Now, this isn't King James Version, and it's the very newest international version, so it's going to be just a little bit different. But that will provide us some challenge as well. So I want to ask you to stand with me. Will you stand and let's read this in unison. Read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Most of us grew up hearing the first phrase of that song, that psalm recited as, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I heard a little about a little girl who was learning it, and she got it turned around uh, just a little bit, and she said, The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. She misquoted it. But she got the essential message of that statement. We too often believe... That a vacation in Cancun, a luxury car, a backyard pool, a recreational vehicle is what we want. Where is I I didn't keep track of Mark. Where is your song leader, Mark? Oh, he took advantage. (laughs) Yeah, he took advantage and skipped out on me. Well, I wanted to tell him that I think your music team is doing really, really well. Oh, thank you, Rick. I appreciate that. Your, your music team is doing a really, really good job, and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate Mark sharing with us that uh, he was in a, a van, he was traveling, he was a road warrior, he had what he wanted. And then he, after he'd done it for a while, he realized, well, oh, that's not what he wanted. What he wanted was a family, children, a home, stability. And now that he has it, And you've been there too. You've done that. You you bought the car or you moved <clears throat> excuse me, you moved into the bigger house. You you bought the recreational vehicle. Whatever it was that it that you wanted, you got it. And then you said, I want something else. And so we constantly focus on what we do not have. And the result is that we're left unfulfilled, dissatisfied, and in turmoil. When we will make that motto of the little girl our own, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want, we'll find out that we have all that we want and all that we really need. Before we, want to, before we go on, I want to suggest that we might place the emphasis on this phrase in two places. And where we place that emphasis reveals a great deal about our personal maturity. We might say, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I didn't notice it so much in the songs that we sang this morning, but sometimes in the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, there's a great deal of emphasis on my, my Lord, my King, my, my, my. And I don't want to criticize that. After all, isn't that exactly what David said? David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you are a parent, I want to ask for you to reflect on that for just a moment. Do you remember a time when your toddler said my 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 Yeah, you do. What were the, what are the first words a child utters? Every parent teaches the child, say mama, say dada. And what is every child's first word? No. <laughs> and what is the next one? Mine. Mine. And parents think that's cute. Pretty soon they get tired of hearing it. Grandparents think it's the cutest thing in the world. And nobody criticizes the child. Nobody says, you should not say mine. That is wrong. You don't say that to a two-year-old. Because they're defining boundaries. They're learning, this is mine and that's yours. It takes a little while because at first is this is mine. And yours is mine. So it takes a little while. And it's important to get that distinction. And so the parent doesn't criticize that. But if you've got a 12-year-old who is constantly saying, mine, 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 you need to have a conversation with that child. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you're still saying, mine, 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 It's time for a little reflection. Jesus is mine? Yeah. But am I his? Go back to the first question at the bottom of your outline. The first question that Mr. Keller asks Do I really belong to him? You see, there's such a big difference between he's mine and I'm his. And it's a matter of maturity. You see, the the, the the young believer and the young person, the young are bold. The young are inexperienced. And the young will very often shout, I belong to no one. I am my own person. I chart my own path. I I bow to no one. There's a lot of John Wayne bravado in that. I break my own trail, Pilgrim. And somehow my John Wayne always sounds like Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) The mature follower of Jesus is not trying to drag Jesus down his or her own path. The mature follower of Jesus follows. Because he or she belongs to Jesus. Now I want to take you back to uh, that outline on your bulletin insert. The second question is, Do I really recognize His right to me? I belong to Him. And if I belong to Him, then He has a right to me. Do I recognize His right? Right now, our culture... Is going through a time when we're seeing people very loudly demanding their rights. Their right to assemble, their right to riot, their right to resist law enforcement. Please don't get me started. Does Jesus have the right to claim you for his own? And if you are his, does he have the right to tell you what is right and what is wrong? Does he have the right to guide you? Now, it leads us into another question about maturity. It's also on the next one on, on your insert. From Mr. Keller, do I respond to his authority and acknowledge his ownership? The most mature sheep will follow the shepherd. Immature sheep, they don't know any better. They're inquisitive, they're curious, they'll wander around a little bit and they'll get into trouble. Maturity is following the shepherd into green pastures because the shepherd knows where the pastures are. Mature sheep follow the shepherd to still waters, because that's where refreshment is found. We follow him. Notice what David teaches us the good shepherd takes care of the three basic needs of every sheep food, water, rest. Reflecting on that, Mr. Keller asks Do I find freedom? and complete fulfillment in this arrangement. The shepherd has the expertise to guide him in right paths that lead somewhere. It gives confidence and assurance to know that God gives the promise of His presence. Not only to guide us, but to protect us. Even in life's shadowed hours. Our deepest happiness is to know that he is there. He is with us and together we can cope with any peril. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. I think as Jesus was teaching this, he must have reflected because he knew the Old Testament so well. Number one, he'd authored it. Number two, he grew up learning it. It was deeply instilled in him. And I think he must have been reflecting on that as he said these words as recorded in John chapter 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through it will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand. cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus tells us so much about his relationship with us. In this brief passage, in describing himself as a gate for coming in and going out, in describing him as the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, he tells us so much about his relationship with us. A preacher from long ago named Harry Emerson Fosdick tells a story about going to Israel and meeting a for-real shepherd. And he asks this shepherd, Have you ever had any formal training? And the shepherd said, oh, no. He said, well, can you, can you write? Oh, no, I can't write. Well, can, you, can you count? No, can't count. So he asked him, well, how do you know if one of your sheep is missing? And the shepherd responded, I know all their names. Jesus knows us. And he knows you. He knows you by name. And he loves and cares for you. And one of the ways that the shepherd does that is that he makes me lie down in green pastures. This psalm was written by David, the greatest king of Israel. Before David was king, he was a shepherd. Listen to what he wrote at Psalm 78. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. So when David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, he knew what it was to be a shepherd. He knew how to take care of sheep. In 1 Samuel, we learn that David was a brave shepherd shepherd. He recounted times that a lion or bear came and carried off sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, connected to that is Mr. Keller's question on your insert. Do I sense a purpose and deep contentment because I am under his direction. The shepherd protects the flock and the shepherd leads the flock. Now, I think it's very interesting to know the difference between sheep and cattle. Most of us have seen the cowboy movies. In the cowboy movies, where are the cowboys? When they're moving the herd, they're up on their saddles, they're up on top of their horses. And they're behind the cattle. They're driving them. They're pushing them. You can't do that with sheep. They'll just mill around in a circle. They don't know what to do with that. A shepherd gets out in front of the sheep. He calls to them. And the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. The psalmist says that that's the way it is with God. He doesn't force you. He doesn't compel you. He leads you. So many times, over and over throughout the Gospels, you will read about Jesus saying, Follow me. And always, everywhere, he goes first. Love draws. Love calls. Love is out ahead of us. And that's a beautiful thought. At the same time, this is what makes faith so difficult. It would be so much easier if we had somebody with a prod behind us, poking us and pushing us and telling us which way to go. But God doesn't do that. One of the primary images of God revealing Himself in the Scriptures goes back to the book of Exodus. Exodus. Where God led the people, the descendants of Abraham, he led them out of Egypt in a pillar. During the daytime it was a cloud and at night it was fire and he led them out. Mr. Keller draws on that idea with this question. Do I know rest and repose beside a definite sense of exciting adventure in belonging to him? David wrote, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, he talked about pastures. Lying down in pastures, that's for nourishment. Perhaps paths of righteousness are those that lead us around prickly bushes and perilous pitfalls. As we're on our way to greater service for the shepherd. Green pastures, still waters paths of righteousness, all have the sound of desirable places to be, and the shepherd leads. At verse 4 of the psalm, we read, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The shepherd isn't always going to lead us in the most pleasant places. And even in this, we have a wonderful, rich promise. And there's a subtle difference in the grammar that I want to point out to you that underscores the depth of God's love for us. Up until now, God the shepherd has been referred to in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But, watch watch the change here. When the psalmist enters into one of life's most devastating moments, he changes the grammar. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He switches from the second person to the first person. The valley of the shadow may be dark indeed, but we can share the confidence of David. You are with me. Now, commentators for generations have been trying to figure out what the valley of the shadow of death is. Donald Gray Barnhouse was one of America's great preachers. And he offered an application for this that's a great encouragement for me. His first, his first wife died with cancer when she was in her 30s, leaving him with three children, 12 and younger. He decided to do his wife's funeral himself. Now, what does a father tell his children In a situation like that. He was still working on that. On the way to the service, he had his little family in the car and a great big 18-wheeler went past them. And as it did, the shadow from the trailer fell across the car. His 12-year-old girl was sitting in the seat next to him just staring out the window. And he said to her, Sweetheart, Which would you rather have run over you? That big truck or its shadow? Well, the girl looked at him as only a 12-year-old can do and said, of course, the shadow, it can't hurt you. And he said to his children, Your mother has not been run over by death. Only the shadow of death. And it can't hurt you. And so he shared from this psalm. He shared from his heart at his wife's funeral. In much the same way, the shepherd would provide for his sheep. David goes on with this second person. Your rod and your staff in this valley of the shadow of death, they comfort me. A shepherd's rod was a stout stick. He used it as a weapon. He used it to fight off ferocious animals. I find comfort in that. I find comfort in that because I have an enemy. He wants to devour me. He has an army of demons that want to do me harm. But the good shepherd stands guard over me. His rod protects me from the enemy. And his staff is also a source of comfort. A staff is a a long stick with a hook on the end. They used to use that kind of thing in the old vaudeville acts. If an entertainer was on the stage for too long or he wasn't doing well, somebody would reach out and pull him off the stage. In much the same way, the shepherd would use the crook of his staff if a a sheep started to wander away from the flock. He'd get that crook around it and draw it back in. Also, if a sheep fell into some kind of crevice or something and the shepherd couldn't quite reach it, he could use that staff to extend his reach and pull his sheep up back to himself out of the harm. And as I was doing some research in this, I found out that there's another way that the shepherd uses his staff, his staff. He will put that crook, that little hook, under the leg of a sheep that is injured, and help it walk. He'll support it while it heals. What a wonderful image. Of the way my shepherd provides. He keeps me on the right path. He rescues me when I get too far away. And he supports me when I am wounded. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever among the many precious promises of the Bible is one that Jesus made. And for me, it's one of the most compelling. Jesus said He's preparing a place for us. At John 14, we read this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. In the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy said, there is no place like home. And she was right. And there is no home like the one That Jesus is preparing for us. A place where you belong. A place where there's a room for you. The Father's house. And not a place where we go for a meal. Not a place where we go to recover for a few days. But where we go to be forever. The story is told about a rich man who gave a big party. Invited lots of people, lots of celebrities. There were some actors and actresses and politicians and, and his preacher that had been his preacher from the time he was a, a boy. During the meal, someone encouraged a very famous actor with a rich baritone voice to recite the 23rd Psalm in, in honor of the preacher. So the actor did. And he stood up, and in his rich, trained, talented, experienced voice, he offered such a beautiful rendition of the 23rd Psalm. And all the guests applauded. And the the actor said to the preacher, Sir, would you do me the honor, would you recite the 23rd Psalm? So the old preacher stood up. His voice cracked and was a little bit harsh from many years of preaching without microphones. And when he had finished the 23rd Psalm, there was no applause. But there was not a dry eye in the room. Later somebody said to the actor, what was the difference? Why did his... Rendition? Why did his recitation make so much difference to us? Why did it impact us so much? And the actor said, Well, I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. We started with a few questions from mister Keller. And my challenge this morning to you is do you know? the shepherd I want to encourage you to use those questions this week carve out some time and work through the 23rd Psalm with Mr. Keller's questions consider them carefully take some time to reflect and ask yourself how your answers to those questions are guiding your behavior for right now, for yourself, answer that first question. Do I really belong to him? I want to invite the music team to come to the stage and lead us in a closing song. Your pastor Ben is here and available for you to help you to answer that question. Do I really belong to Him? If you're ready to make a next step because you do belong to Jesus, Ben is here to work with you in that. If you want to talk to somebody about what it would mean to really belong to Jesus what it would mean to really have a guide, what it would mean to experience His love. Ben and your elders are here, ready to lead, ready to share from God's Word, ready to pray with you.